You are listening to the Indefensive Plants podcast, a show designed to cure plant blindness around the globe. Support for Indefensive Plants comes from listener donations. If you would like to give your support to Indefensive Plants, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash indefensiveplants, and together we can help cure plant blindness one episode at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to the Indefensive Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. Or dare I say, welcome to the 200th episode of Indefensive Plants. It's an honor to be here, and I'm joined today by the lovely and wonderful Sarah Johnson. Say hi. Hello, everyone. It's been a while, but you may recognize Sarah's voice from previous episodes, as well as the intro to more recent episodes. She's extremely supportive and wonderful to the Indefensive Plants podcast, and an integral part of what I do from week to week. So (laughs) we're here today because this is the 200th episode and I wanted to do something a little bit different. And every week I get a ton of emails and I really love when people reach out to me because everyone is so nice and kind and they, they tell their stories. But I often don't have time to respond to most emails. I'm in the midst of grad school trying to get my PhD, and I've got a ton of other things, and I just can't budget enough time to respond to each and every email. And so what I thought was one of the most common emails I always get is people asking me for book recommendations, right? I mean, who doesn't like a good book? I love book recommendations. It's always better to have someone tell you whether something's been vetted before you (laughs) take the time to actually sit down and read it. Right. And I'm a big fan of Goodreads, but hearing a book recommendation from someone I trust carries a lot of weight. So I figured in honor of all of those emails that I get that I simply uh, and and unfortunately can't respond to, I figured tonight we would sit down and talk about books that we really enjoy. A lot of them are going to be plant-themed, of course, but not all of them, right? You've brought in some... Yeah, I actually found it tougher to go through my list of reads and pick ones that were plant-specific, so hopefully you guys will like my choices. Well, yours are great. I can already tell from the stack. Uh, I've I've read a couple of them, and I'm really excited for people to hear them. So yeah, you're going to get a mix of botanically focused and just natural history books in general. Um, And at the end of the day, in terms of how to become a better botanist, there's really no better way than to just get out and do it, get a field guide, get a key, learn the terminology, and go do it. But Sometimes it gets dark out, or sometimes the weather's not good, and and curling up to a good book is, to me, second best way to get to learn about nature and the plants around you, because we just can't be everywhere all the time. So, I guess, for simplicity's sake, and for formatting's sake, because I put Sarah on the spot tonight, (laughs) I'll go first, just so we have an gist of what's going on with the the first recommendation, and I want to say these are no particular order, I really just stacked my books based on size, Minor in order. Yeah, uh, this one is technically in order because I think it is a really good book for anyone that really wants to take a deep dive into the world of botany, but not be completely dragged down with sort of a textbook approach. So this one is called Alice in the Land of Plants, Biology of Plants and Their Importance for Planet Earth by Giannis Manitas. I apologize if I've butchered that. I got to admit, when I saw the title of this book, I said I would never have picked this out for myself. It also looks like a textbook. It does. So. It's, it's by Springer, or published by Springer. And and Giannis is from Greece, and he is, I guess, a professor of plant physiology in the Department of Biology in the University of Gothenburg, Sweden. But he has written an incredible introduction to the world of botany. 
And what I like about this book is, like I said, you, you look at it, you think it's a textbook, you think it might be dry, but he has such personal sort of experiences with plants, and you can tell he really loves plants. And the way he uses his experiences and his personalized sort of approach to this to addressing topics like photosynthesis, nutrient acquisition, ecology, everything, seed dispersal, it's covered in this book and it's covered in an extremely compelling way. And I think if you are new to plants and you really want to kind of get your feet wet and, and again, not be drowned, this is a really good book. So again, it's called Alice in the Land of Plants. Do not let the cover art or the title, which I admit leaves me wanting, uh, scare you away from this book. I think it's an incredible read and it's really good, especially if you're not terribly familiar with plants. So when, when you were reading it, why is it called Alice in the Land of Plants? Is anything in there hint at the name? or? Yeah, it... it's weird, and, and it's kind of cheesy, but I like it. You know, uh, he basically, it's it's about going down the rabbit hole, uh, like uh... Alice did in Alice in Wonderland. And he has his own little art, which uh, it's charming in its own special way. And <laughs> he kind of uses these weird little analogies from Alice in Wonderland. And he actually has little annotations, at least in the, the version I have here. There's little, like, margin annotations. And he, he kind of just summarizes some of the stuff that's going on in each paragraph. And sometimes it's funny, like cutesy sort of thing. And then sometimes it's just really cool little facts. Like the first carrot plant made from specialized root somatic cells was produced in 1958 and the earth did not move. Like, <laughs> it's comical, but you do get these cool little snippets of, of insights from someone, again, who's deeply passionate about plants. So, yeah, I, I, I think this is a great one to start out with. But now that you've seen... How, how we're doing this. Uh, what's, what's your first book? When I think of taking it back to something to get your feet wet and to get started with, um, I can't think of a better example than the book that I've chosen for my first book, which many a naturalist slash scientist friend that I've talked to has mentioned this book before as being probably one of the more introductory books in their life when they started getting into outdoors and nature. This book is the Reader's Digest North American Wildlife Field Guide, I guess. It's yeah. kind of like an encyclopedia. And I feel like most people are probably familiar with it. Um, either you've encountered it at a garage sale or um, on your grandparents' bookshelf, which is where I first discovered this book. Aww. And yeah, and it, it's really special to me for that reason, because I have the book from my grandparents, who I'm very fortunate to have spent almost every summer at throughout my childhood exploring. I used to call it their forest, which is really just 20 acres of woodlot. That's, um, that's decent. I mean, yeah. I wish I had 20 acres of woodlot. 10, 10 acres? 10, I would 20 take, acres? I would, take, I would take five acres. I would take an acre of my own. I know. And <laughs> it's, it's really one of the oh, most wow. special places in my life because I spent every summer there for the most part for at least a few weeks. And... I just was free to, as a city kid, go somewhere that wasn't the city Aww. and um, kind of roam around and just look at things and collect tadpoles and do all the outdoor kid stuff. So I would come inside and find this book on their bookshelf and flip through it. And fortunately, the book is in brand new condition because yes. I was an only child and treated everything very preciously when I was young. Um, <laughs> my dad probably wouldn't agree with that, but... Yeah, this book is just really incredible. It probably a lot of the nomenclature, like the taxonomy is out of date. Whatever. But it goes through all of the different, you know, it goes through birds and mammals and plants. And it breaks it up into trees and wildflowers 
and it's very visual. So every single description has a uh, drawing or an illustration of the plant. Beautifully illustrated. Yeah, and it's the entire United States. So it's or North all of North America actually. So it extends, you know, parts of Mexico up to Canada. Um, and it's it's just wonderful. And I know, like I've said, a lot of friends that are into the sciences frequently still revisit this book to take a look through it, and it's just wonderful. Yeah, and it's I mean it's not a field guide just because it's so nice looking. I, would, I don't think yeah. I'd want to take this out in the field, but it's thorough. And one of yeah. the cool things is you're flipping through the pages here and there is a whole liverwort section. I mean, mm-hmm. how many introductory field guides even bother with liverworts and mosses? Um, um, non-flowering plants is the category. Yeah, because, which is fine, yeah. you know. But, but if you're first looking up something and you... Yeah, you definitely wouldn't be able to find something quickly in this book, I don't think. I mean, you could go to the back if you knew the name. But right. you'd have to do some exploring. But that's kind of what's so wonderful about this book is that you have to do some exploring to find things. And, you know, a lot of what you talk about with plant blindness especially is trying to realize that all plants are different in their own way. And this kind of exemplifies right. why they're different because the way it lays them right. out. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it here. It's beautifully illustrated. I, ha- I have my own copy too. She she uh, inspired me and I found one at a, a book sale actually. <laughs> But, you know, you got the name, you've got a really cool range map, which are pretty accurate. I mean, they're they're not high resolution, obviously, but you get an idea of where geographically, size, what to look for, which is really nice, mm-hmm. and then habitat and sometimes little notes, I see. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, descriptive insets, I guess, if you would call them. So, like this one we're looking at here, it shows little insets of the fruits and the flowers. Yeah, the illustrations are just really wonderful, and mm-hmm. they give you know, explanation of their habitat, but they usually give some information as well that's a little bit novel, so. Yeah, and I just, I it's got such a nostalgic feel because it is an older book, but it just reminds me of a childhood going to, you know, my grandparents and asking questions and them pulling a Reader's Digest something or an encyclopedia off the shelves. There's, yeah. It's got that element of it, which really kind of harkens back to, you know, a time long, long past. Yeah, and my, and my grandparents were really, really enthusiastically invested. I mean, really everyone in my family, but especially my my grandparents were really enthusiastic about me just exploring and getting dirty. And they knew a lot of the plants on their property. They were really well versed in their forest. And so I really appreciated that. Well, that's wonderful because look what they did to you. They turned you into nature nut, ecologist, plant conservationist. Yeah. And and you can thank in part. So if book. my grandma and grandpa are listening, hi, I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to send them the link when this is all undone. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. And again, that is the North American Wildlife by Reader's Digest. So again, wildlife includes plants and animals. Thank you, Reader's Digest. Okay, my next one. This one, I can't remember who recommended it, and I'm sorry if I've forgotten you, because I have, uh, name-wise, but I will not forget the recommendation because I wrote something about floral color on the blog, and someone chimed in and said, oh my gosh, you need to pick this book up, and I am so happy for that recommendation. This one is called Nature's Palette, The Science of Plant Color by David Lee. And it's a beautiful book. I mean, this is one I would see on the shelf and go, ooh, I do want to read that, but it explores everything about plant color. And oftentimes, I will admit some pretty intense details, but not, again, it's not like picking up a scientific journal. It's, yeah, I just saw that chapter called Why Leaves Turn Red, which is pretty useful. Right. These, these are really interesting questions that I think a lot of people have, regardless of whether or not they're interested in plants or not. But 
he explores plant color and it starts off with like dyes and and sort of his introduction to the world of the importance of color and why so many plants played such a big role in dyes and color making but then goes into perceptions of color and the different wavelengths of color and then just kind of all-encompassing form function structure how why all of it it's so thorough and um Again, he's a really good writer, so it's taking extremely complex topics sometimes and outlining them in ways that are relatively interesting and, and easy to understand. I wouldn't say I'd recommend this book to your average beginner. Uh, I think you kind of have to come in with some sort of plant knowledge or interest in it at least. But, you know, you're going to cover things that are super familiar, like variegation, how those colors are made uh, at the cellular level, at the pigment level, and Flower just, color and things, I assume, not just leaf color. And- yeah, yeah, everything about color in plants. And and what's really cool is the uh, it's it's illustrated, and I, I'm guessing went to painstaking detail to get a lot of really intricate diagrams and pictures and scanning electron microscope images to, to really illustrate what you're seeing. Because a lot of times, again, these topics like light refraction and reflectance and all that can be kind of esoteric and hard to understand, but to see... You know, what he's talking about as he's describing it is really important. Uh, and it's just, it's it's a heavy book. It's a great book. It's a beautiful book. But most of all, it's one of those that I, I started reading it during the summer, which is my field season. And I'm usually like way too tired to get through much, but I couldn't put this book down. It, it was fantastic. It definitely looks to me right immediately right now, very science heavy. But I can see that if you were really thirsty for some of this information you wanted to dive into it, it would probably satisfy all of your needs as opposed to going out and finding all of the different papers about all the possible yeah, topics. Exactly. And that's a really good point to bring up is A, if you don't have a subscription to journals, getting papers is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Also, even if you do, who has that kind of time? And and again, trying And how to, do you know what to look for something you right, don't know you're looking for? Familiarizing yourself yeah. with the jargon even then. And so having it kind of consolidated into this is already a really great start. But even then, uh, if you're like me, you know, a lot of those introductory texts just don't cut it anymore. Like you said, there's a thirst for knowledge. And, and I kind of am at this point where, all right, I, I know a lot about the basics of botany, I want to go the next step. And this is definitely a book to take the next step. And, and if you're at all curious about, again, why leaves turn red, or why episcia are brown and silver, or sometimes black and silver, or why certain flowers have UV spectrum reflectance and some don't, you know, this is the book for you. And I assume it also goes into like the genetics behind it and why like hybridization. A little bit, a little bit. I think uh, it's, it's a lot more chemistry than it is genetics, which again, so much of it is pigment related. A lot of it's structurally related, but you know, there's talks about breeding experiments and how, you know, taking a white flower and a red flower and making a pink flower help people understand that. So there is, Again, a little bit of literally everything that has to do with the science of, of plant color. It's a really good book. And again, this one's Nature's Palette, The Science of Plant Color by David Lee. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, All right. What yeah. do you have for us next? Well, speaking of reading for fun, this is one of those that crosses both territories, I guess. And one of the first books that was recommended to me upon moving to the Midwest. It is a cornerstone of conservationist literature, I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean... uh, A Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. 
I could not agree with you more that this needs to be on the list. Yeah, it's I, I I'm going to admit that I actually have not read most of the classics when it comes to science, ecology, and conservation. So like I just got my first few Rachel Carson books this year and we have a origin of species that's sitting on the shelf very dusty that I've never read. But this was my first kind of step into some conservation literature and yeah, we were in Wisconsin and actually went to the Elder Leopold Center. That was so cool. Which was really wonderful also. Um, it's a nice hill prairie-like. Yeah, oak savanna-ish. Oak savanna. I mean, there's elements of all of it there. Yeah, so this this was one of those books that when we moved to the Midwest, you know, people said, this is one of the best and you should read it while you're here. It gives you a nice gestalt for the area. Like this is the feel of, of yeah. the Midwest. It's like the breath of the Midwest, I guess. And um, I also listened to it on audiobook. So I read it and then I listened to it on audiobook. And I wish I could tell you who narrated it because he had this beautifully <laughs> deep, like country, almost like Wilfred Brimley voice yeah, it was, going on. It was warm and, uh, and, and welcoming. Yeah. And it just, it really took the book to a new level. So if you have the chance to um, listen to it. So you gained something out of both reading and listening to this book. Yeah, for sure. And it's a fairly short book so i feel like because it's a natural prose uh which tends to be one of my i don't know if that's the category but it tends to be one of my favorite categories of nature writing is kind of like short story prose essays, style yeah. essay yeah essay writing and so um yeah yeah and I, I i think when you know you say cornerstone it is totally that i think anyone that's interested in nature wilderness conservation anything like that game management this is a book you need to read or should read at some point. I agree, you know, not all of the classics are going to end up on your radar or, or make them into your lives. But if you're going to read one of the classics, this is definitely one of them. For sure. Um, it was <clears throat> it was actually one of my first introductions, although it, it happened a bit ago. Uh, I was kind of cutting my teeth into the natural history world and volunteering for the Buffalo Audubon Society. And the director at the time actually pulled me aside and said, you know, you seem like someone that would really enjoy this and gave me a copy of it. And it really did kind of spark a lot of things that, you know, as as a young, naive person, or even as someone that doesn't think about conservation much, it, it just gives you a lot of food for thought in, in such a nice, approachable way. So big shout out to Buffalo Audubon Society and specifically the uh, Beaver Meadow Nature Center in Java, New York. They really left a mark on me and uh that book was part of it yeah cool sure. thank you so much for bringing that one up i don't know if we covered it on the last time i did books that was many many moons ago with steve from the field guides podcast but even if we did it it bears mentioning more than once it does nice thanks all right so for my next one this was actually a gift this year from my mother who took a shot in the dark and just decided to get this book for me and it was such a loving and thoughtful gift and it's something that has completely changed my perspective on plants and uh i don't know if you follow the blog very much but you can probably <laughs> tell i've been reading it recently by the theme of some of my recent posts uh this one is called a natural history of conifers and again i'm really sorry i'm going to butcher this name but i think it's alhos ferron uh, he works for Q, and he's a conifer specialist. And as you can probably guess, this is just a book completely dedicated to conifers. And if you're like me, you came to trees a little bit later. I'm more of an herbaceous person. I'm usually head down in the forest looking for cool things flowering or, or crawling across the ground. But 
thanks to being able to teach a couple of classes in grad school, help teach uh, a floristics class by Dr. Jeff Matthews and Jay Hayek, and then a dendrology class by Jay Hayek, I have learned so much about trees, and my world has completely been flipped upside down by, uh, you know, forcing me to pay attention to these large things that I thought were difficult uh, to to really wrap your head around. And in reality, it's just a matter of having the patience and knowing what to look for and, and having good teachers, of course. But this one has taken already what I thought, you know, trees, I'm largely an angiosperm person, really never paid attention to conifers very much. I mean, I love a, I love a good hemlock. My parents had some big Norway spruce in the backyard, which uh, mm-hmm. have have housed many a bird's nest. But, you know, they were just all kind of Christmas trees to me. And I, I, I feel bad saying that, but let's be honest, uh, it just was never something that caught my interest. And this book has completely shifted that view. The facts that are within this book and the way he presents the information is so much in the style of what I really appreciate about natural history writing, good natural history writing. It's it's honest, it's scientific, it's not hokey, but it's it's poetic in its own way. I mean, this is a man who lives and dies by the world of conifers and has done great things to their understanding, but... You know, you think about conifers, if you're like me, you think of the boreal forest, you think of firs, Christmas trees, or those bristlecone pines, or the redwoods, but this has opened my mind to the world of tropical conifers like I never thought possible. There's... I literally didn't even know there was tropical conifers until like <laughs> until like a year ago, so... I mean, I yeah, I had indications. I've been to the Atlanta <laughs> Botanical Garden, which has an incredible collection of some of the wonderful tropical conifers, but... I. I can't even begin to tell you how mind-blowing this book is. And and again, scientific, but easy to understand, beautifully illustrated, lots and lots of wonderful photos of not just the plants themselves, but the plants and habitat. Like, here's an area growing amongst uh, a bunch of other gymnosperms on New Caledonia. And, you know, I've never been, probably won't go there for a while uh, or, or a great amount of time until we have more travel time and budgets. <laughs> But to see plants in habitat and to kind of have all of the wonderful mm-hmm. illustrations of sort of the minutiae, the details of the cone scales, and, and it really just gives you a more complete picture of these plants. And it, it just goes to show you that what I thought were sort of these dead ends of evolutionary history uh, are really still an amazing, diverse group of plants. And I love and thank this book so much for introducing me to them. And it looks like it's not quite a tabletop book. You know, it's a little smaller than what you would think of as like yeah. a visual coffee table book. But it's it seems like it still has a lot of information inside of it. Yeah, it's bigger than like, say, a novel you would sit and read on the couch. But I still, you know, I can lay in bed and not feel like I'm going to break my nose if this falls <laughs> on my face. Um, but it is beautiful. And here's a picture actually of... I have a picture next to that log. Yeah, of uh, the diorama <laughs> at the Field Museum of the Carboniferous Swamp when, uh, you know, pro-gymnosperms were starting to make their way onto the scene. But again, this is just so all-encompassing and uh, it's beautiful. So, What's I, your favorite new conifer from the book that you've learned about? Um, I think... If you had to pick if one. If I had to pick one, actually, it would be an extinct conifer, Aethophyllum stipulari. It's, it's proof that at one point in time, gymnosperms were doing crazy things like angiosperms were. Uh, it's an herbaceous conifer from the uh, early Triassic. That's strange to think about. Yeah, would have grown in floodplains, would have probably had an annual life, si- uh, life cycle, and definitely wasn't producing much, if any, wood. So hmm. that's the kind of information that's in here, and that's the kind of appreciation you get to walk away with uh, of what, for, for me, a completely foreign branch of the Tree of Life. So Very cool. Thank you. 
for this book, Mom. <laughs> All the family's going to have to listen to this podcast, I, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if they do. <laughs> I don't, yeah, no, I don't think so. All right, what do you have? Okay, let's see. So my next book is one that <laughs> Matt recommended to me because I just started my master's degree. And First of all, congrats. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and man, has it been a ride <laughs> because my uh, study species, which is a rare mint named Macbridea alba, is endemic to the panhandle of Florida. But I was looking for something very Florida feel to it, I guess. And I'm sure that there are so many people listening to this podcast that could give me some great recommendations. And I would love yeah, that. Please do. Please by the way. send me all of your Florida natural history recommendations for reading. But I chose The Orchid Thief uh, by Susan Orlean. Mm-hmm. And this was the perfect combination of things for me in a book because I am a huge adventure book fan. I love kind of like explorer, you know, adventure style danger <laughs> drama. But, and this kind of combined that with uh, really, really good nature writing. And it really, it says it's a story, true story of beauty and obsession. And that is exactly what it is. Um, yep. I really enjoyed the personality of the main character in the book, John LaRoche. Yeah, LaRoque, I think. LaRoque, LaRoche. LaRoche. And of course, this is more in Southern Florida, but it still just gave me that really good feeling of what just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The vibe of like <laughs> of Florida. Florida vibes. Um, she paints a really good picture of what I would expect to see in Florida, what the forests are like and what the swamps are like. Because, uh, you know, my first time getting to Florida, it was such a strange mix of this open savanna habitat. And then you also have conifers. Yeah. So you have a lot of just herb- herbaceous and then grasses and right. then tr- tall trees. And you're like, where am I? Am I in a forest <laughs> or am I in a grassland or where am I? And, um, you know, this is focused more on the swampy areas of the South, but still very relevant and touches on that kind of wildness that is also Florida, which is very similar to what I think of when I think of the West, where everything's kind of just a little bit crazy still. And like, <laughs> you never know what to expect. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I have to say that one of the other best parts of it is going into the horticultural world of orchids, which is its own story in and of itself. Oh, geez, yeah. And there are a couple other books that I think are probably quite similar that I do have on my I, my list to read um, about kind of the orchid trade and orchid madness. But I think this is a really great introduction to it. Yeah, I adored this book because it was an insight into this world, like you said, of just the wildness, the the obsession, the horticultural end of it from someone who's really an outsider, but someone who is really good at writing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, paints a picture. And I think what I love the most about this book is the fact that she wasn't a naturalist or a scientist going into this. Right. You got a more honest picture because, you know, the romanticization of fieldwork and stuff and just being in some of these natural areas. Like, yeah, sometimes it sucks, but like, we all know why we go out there. We all know why we keep going back right. out there. But for someone to pursue this story to the lengths that she did 
Oh, yeah. To go out in the swamps never having done it before with this guy, not wearing anything but tennis shoes because she didn't know what to expect (laughs) is pretty amazing if you've ever been to any of these areas. So, And if you care about plant poaching or if it's something that angers you, this is a really good insight into the sort of the mindset that drives a lot of these issues. And I'm not saying it makes you feel better about these people, but, you know, it's easy to be idealistic. And I think this at least helps you understand where a lot of people are coming from, or at least the motivations of where a lot of people are coming from. It's still infuriating, it's wrong, but you, you know, know thy enemy, right? Well, and there's a lot of people involved in this story in general, you know, everybody kind of working together to piece together this larger picture of, you know, the conservation story of Florida in general, um, which is a very complicated discussion. But I really, yeah, I really like thinking about, you know, even with all of the hands that have been to work with Florida trying to tame nature and take it over, it somehow always still shows you that that's not possible. And yeah, I really, I really yeah. liked this book for that reason. So for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, this is centered around one orchid in particular, the ghost orchid, Dendrophylax lindenii. It's a leafless orchid, photosynthesizes through its roots and has a gorgeous flower. Um, but it's rare because in a lot of ways, besides habitat destruction, people want to poach it. And, uh, yeah, it's just a a fantastic book and I'm really happy that you enjoyed it because I hate making like music recommendations or book recommendations (laughs) and then people are like, I don't like what you like. Well, I'm flipping through it right now and there are so many dog-eared pages, which just proves, yeah, it just proves how much I loved it because there was so many lines that I just wanted to remember. So, yeah. And, and. If maybe books aren't your thing, uh, there was uh, a movie adaptation of this book called Adaptation, <laughs> one of Nick Cage's better movies, uh, hey, starring no. the <laughs> great Mandy was good, as is Raising Arizona. <laughs> I'll stand by those. And Meryl Streep, the wonderful and talented Meryl Streep, uh, playing a less than savory role. So there was a lot of yeah. artistic license. I don't want to spoil it for you, but uh, also a great movie if you're into that sort of thing. And how often do plants and especially orchids take center focus in a Hollywood movie. Yeah. And it's not just orchids. You know, they talk about all the different nurseries that are all over Florida as well. And, you know, they talk about different types of plants that they grow in these nurseries. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a wonderful read. Thanks for bringing that one to the table. Makes me happy. Yes. All right. So the next one was another gift. This one was my suggestion to my father (laughs) who my father got for you for yeah thanks greg (laughs) shout out to greg on this one um so this one is a timber press guide to succulent plants of the world a comprehensive reference to more than 2,000 species by fred dortort and right off the bat i want to get fred dortort on this podcast so if anyone knows him or has a contact for him please tell him i'm trying to get a hold of him i don't know how to find his contact number (laughs) But I want to talk to this man. It is 2019. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's difficult. But I want to talk to him and get him on the podcast. And I think you'd all really appreciate it because this book is incredible. And I, like many other people, got introduced to a lot of houseplants, uh, the world of houseplants, I should say, largely through succulents. You know, my mom grew some pothos and stuff, but she has that ripsalis that's been going for like 80 years. Not that she's 80 <laughs> years old, but it was for my great grandfather. And you know, a couple other great crassulas, and, and I've, had, I've dabbled in succulents quite a bit. And then after we met, you know, our succulent collection exploded. But they have always been so alien looking to me because really we don't have a ton of succulents in the northeast where I'm from. And again, when you only ever see a plant in a pot, 
mm-hmm. you feel so disembodied from what it actually is. You know it's from somewhere, you know it fits into the ecology, but to see a plant in situ is so important not just to understand how to grow it and understand what kind of habitat it needs, but just to give you some context to why it looks the way it does. And succulents are just so strange that you really do have to see where they grow to believe it. And the great thing about succulent plants of the world is that most of these pictures are of plants in situ. Oh, there's a pressed oak, couple oaks in here. <laughs> if I had a dollar for Another every pressed, oak. pressed plant we found when we opened a book. Yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> we'd be rich. But again, the amount of effort that went into just getting the photographs of these plants is amazing. And to see, you know, an echeveria actually in situ growing out of the cracks of a rock or, you know, these weird euphorbias from Madagascar scrambling over uh, sand or my favorite is all of the lithops and the, Mm. the weird stone plants growing among the quartz fields in South Africa. It's incredible. But then... On top of all of this, which would have made this book amazing in and of itself, there's just so much information. So it's broken down to kind of major genera by region. And then it talks about sort of the background of all of the diversity within that, where they're found, sort of the major climatic zones they come from. But then it actually gets into the nitty gritty about growing them. It gives you recommendations. That's the best part because we're fortunate in the Chicago area, there's a really great greenhouse that has unique succulent plants and cacti and you know we'll bring them home and find it in this book which is unusual usually you have a difficult time finding some of those more unusual plants and their propagation or cultivation information totally and that's what's so nice is you can be an impulse buyer like we are sometimes and then come home and go oh okay let's look this up and then not only are you getting the cultivation information, you're getting a lot of the natural history and evolution and taxonomy about it. Uh, I can't claim that everything is going to be up to date. So this was published in 2011, so there's a chance some of it's changed, but it's all still extremely relevant information. And I just, I adore this book. And uh, I really think, especially if you are into houseplants and you really like succulents, this is one you don't want to be without. But even if you're just curious about plants and you like reading natural history stuff, this is a great little sort of encyclopedia style. Again, it's it's bridging that gap between, you know, something you could lay in bed and read and, and what would be a nice tabletop book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a it just, it's fantastic. I think it touches on something you mentioned before, which is, you know, once you start really getting into different types of plants or different genera, you know, you want to get to know it a lot more. And so a lot of times, especially with succulents, it's very much the hipster's guide to like keeping some succulents in your house. Yeah. And so it may show you some pretty varieties and it'll say like, keep them in dry, well-drained soil. And you're like, cool, cool. But like anything else? Because I'd really like to learn more about this plant and why it's so unique. And, you know, when I first started getting into plants, that's definitely the type of information that's most readily available. So, you know, you get into it and you're like, wow, there's so much more than I even knew was out there. Yeah. And I'm actually, that's a really good point to bring up and and really well articulated because I think, you know, succulents are fed and that's great. I'm happy people are really excited, but I don't think as many plants suffer from plant abuse quite like the succulents do and just poaching poaching and and misinformation and and just bad care tips you know there's a lot of nuance to the ecology of the species that would make them a lot happier in your care and and again this thirst for knowledge it's not enough for something to just be pretty i i like pretty things but 
there's so much more to a plant than just the aesthetic beauty of it and then the amount of varieties you can tease out of it from hybridization or something like that. This gives you a lot more yeah. to go on and it, it really helps you build an appreciation for the struggle that has shaped these plants across the world and, and adds all of the interesting things that make you know, having and growing houseplants that much more interesting. Well, and treating them all individually, which is how they should be treated, instead of just a blanket statement for all succulents. Yeah. It's like, no, actually, they come from really diverse and unique habitats, so we should treat them as Yeah, and, and that's, again, why this book is so great, because it gives a lot of attention to those aspects of it. Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> what you see that you like. That one. Oh, yeah. Andromiscus marianae var immaculatus. Oh, boy. Harii is the form one of the vast reins of shapes taken by this variety it's it's so good and and just endless endless hours of, of every time i open this book i learn something new so thanks fred dortor again if you know this man or know where he's <laughs> from dortor, or have some way of call us me getting in touch with him please <laughs> let me know i want him on this podcast because you all need to hear what he has to say about the wild world of succulents Wait, what kind of oak uh, is in there, by the way? Uh, let's see. What's um, pressed in there? You got willow oak uh, and post oak. Very cool. Yeah. Do you like that? Thanks, Jay. <laughs> Another shout out to Jay. Give me the oak info. Cool. There's so many shout outs in this episode. It's making me really It's happy. the 200th episode. And again, that's a really good point is I build off of everyone. I mean, yeah. I'm inspired by a lot of people and a lot of people help me out and 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 give information yeah. and knowledge and insight and ideas and so give we are where, where we are yeah because people have made us interested yeah oh, thanks people it's my turn yeah what you got next okay so another less technical book but another one of my favorites uh, my aunt is really really into reading she reads all the time she's really good at gifting the perfect book. And she gave me a book called Earthly Pleasures, Tales from a Biologist's Garden by Roger Swain. So Roger Swain uh, is science editor for Horticulture Magazine, and he's the host of one of America's only television gardening series, <laughs> which I was just complaining about there are not enough of, um, called The Victory Garden. Yeah, HDTV stuff doesn't count. Yeah, HTV, if you're listening, get more garden shows, not house flipping shows. America needs their own Monty Don. Ugh. Which, or he could just come here. And then... Shout out to Gardener's World or any Monty Don. <laughs> just Google him if you haven't found out about him yet. But sorry. Yeah. No, going. no. We It's easy to get off track. But either way, this book is true essay form. And it's written where each, you know, each chapter is a separate essay. But it still is one of the most soothing, calming, just beautifully written books that I've read. And the reason I like it so much is it's kind of like a perspective on the slow life of gardening and hmm. just being and enjoying the outdoors. Uh, he goes from all areas of, you know, working out in the yard, growing turnips, you know, experiencing the types of animals that live in his yard, like woodchucks and chipmunks. Um, and one of my favorite chapters is in the night garden, which he has a night garden, which has a lot of different scented and white flowering plants. Oh, that's cool. And it just is a really great perspective to have that we view our gardens as somewhere we labor in and we work in during the day. And if you have a garden similar to what we have, which is, I like to think, very rich in biodiversity of both plants and animals. And uh, mostly insects. because of the effort we put into the plants. Yeah. Plant native. 
<laughs> it really uh, gives you just a totally different perspective on nighttime in the garden because you, like I said, you think of, you know, you labor in your garden all day, you're in the hot sun and the plants just take on a totally different vibe and lifestyle at night. Um, there's certain things that bloom in the evening. And he talks about some of the plants he puts outside, the Datura anoxia, the moonflower vine, Ipomoea alba, plantain lilies, so hostas, things that have these light colored flowers and attract moths and insects at night. And I don't know if any of you have gone out at night to look at your plants or put up a sheet and look hmm. at the moths, but it completely opens your eyes to another world that exists in your garden that most people just completely don't even think about or ever experience. Yeah, the night shift is really fun and you don't have to stay up super late to appreciate it either. Yeah, I think that some of my favorite evenings in the summer are just going outside and yeah, let's see what's on the plants. Let's see what's going on outside. But yeah, it's just a really wonderful book. And it, it ranges from all subjects to the types of critters that are living in your garden. Um, and just really the joy of getting your hands in the dirt and being in the garden, which is one of my favorite places to be. Definitely. And I'm, I'm happy you brought this book up. because I'm not familiar with it. So I'm going to have to put that on my side of the, the reading list. But just to think about connecting to nature and and the role books like this play is is it's not necessarily that you're going to get some deep scientific information or walk away with a lot of ecology under your belt but you may that's fine but you do walk away hearing someone who's passionate about their their backyard and and just being a hometown fan going mm -hmm. outside and appreciating the nature that you share your immediate space with and not what's going on in some faraway place right. that sounds you know more exciting it's important. And you don't have to be rural to right. do it. You can do this in a city, you can do this in suburbia. Um, and these are the kinds of books that really kind of help inspire that yeah. sort of feeling and emotion and, and just remind people to kind of like slow down, go outside, yeah. observe and just appreciate. And another comment about the only American gardening show. I mean, it's similar of just the way that I think Americans view gardens, really as maybe other places in the world don't feel the same way. It's, it seems like many people view gardens as kind of a job, you know, landscaping and getting it. So it looks nice and really not maybe so much as part of the process. But I mean, I think the title really just um, earthly pleasures, you know, it's like you get outside and you're just <laughs> yeah. in the dirt and it's very like salt of the earth type feel. And it's just, it's a really nice perspective on once you start engaging with it, with your garden, it opens the world up in a lot of different ways because you are truly connected to it in a way that we don't experience anymore as a culture, as as people. And so um, I really do feel like, you know, most of us don't connect with the earth on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I, I think it really highlights just that feeling you get when you really start working in the soil and working in the garden. And um, I think his first perspective in the book is is talking about parsnips and how he grew parsnips and he doesn't even like them. And then now it's like one of those traditions and things that nice. is really important to him. Um, Very cool. So, yeah, I really loved this book and I would recommend it. Yeah. And I mean, just from an aesthetic standpoint, it looks like each one as you're flipping through has like a nice little woodblock style print uh, or occasionally some of the pages do that are also pretty fun. I, I like it when there's a little bit of art. Very fun. Yeah. It's, it's goofy and I like that. It's got some fun comedic stories to it but it's also really educational as well so all all over it is a wonderful book great and that's again earthly pleasures tales from a biologist garden 
by Roger B. Swain. It's going on my list. All right. So my next book was also a recent recommendation. Yeah, I can't remember who recommended (laughs) it, but it was a Twitter recommendation. So thank you to whoever recommended it. This is a shout out to you, someone who I've forgotten their name. I'm sorry, I'm really bad with names. But it's called The Flowering of Gondwana, and it's by Mary E. White. Uh, It's a 400 million year history of Australia's plants. And don't let that discourage you, because fun fact, Australia was connected to all of the major continents in the Southern Hemisphere for most of the world's history and has only been on its own for a very short period of time. So really this book is a history of sort of the evolution of plants from the beginning to modern day and explains a lot of the biogeographical patterns we observe in the southern hemisphere uh, currently and puts a lot of context to that. Now this is definitely more of the tabletop book style. It's a bit older. I believe this was originally published in the 80s. Oh no, not the 80s. Um, it was originally, it originally went by the name of The Greening of Gondwana and now the, the redone one, which I believe here was 1990, is was retooled to The Flowering of Gondwana. But be aware that probably some of the stuff is outdated information. Um, probably there's been new interpretations and new findings since then. Some of the dates and estimations might be off, but there's still so much relevancy in what's in this and you get such a beautiful picture of of the evolution of plants uh you know covering 400 million years of the earth's history is no (laughs) small task and to do it so beautifully and and the reason i say this is a tabletop book is because they went through and took the most high resolution beautiful photographs of not only current day plants but a majority of the fossils that they're talking about throughout this entire book and I'm a huge fossil nut I've always been ever since I was a little kid and I'd find like little seashell fossils in the hills of Pennsylvania and this is just bar none one of the best illustrations of that and the, and what's really cool is some of the more relevant fossils that really are important for understanding the evolution of plants get their own actual illustrations so it's kind of an artist's rendition of what they probably looked like in life and just to have that picture of everything with dates and time periods and and really kind of understanding where the continents were and what the climates would have probably been like uh really puts plant evolution into a really tangible and 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 understandable picture that is just uh, it gives me goosebumps i mean really that's the only way i can put it is just to think about how much life has changed and that there's so much we'll never know uh and there's so much awaiting to be discovered in the next, you know, crack of the rock, it's it's a fantastic mm-hmm. book. It gets a little uh, reference booky towards the end. You know, they 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 weave a good tale early on, but towards the end, there's a lot of just okay. This fossil was found here. Uh, it's of this. It's depicting this. It was about this old. But again, you could just look at this for the pictures alone and get so much <clears> out of it. It's really beautiful as you flip through it. It's I do really like the maps. Um, right. Because for some reason. I feel like I just didn't learn about geology much in school and like a evolutionary time scale. And it's something that I always mix up my timeline for some reason and being able to see it and see the moving of the earth throughout that evolutionary time is really helpful as you go through the book, I think. Yeah. And, and it's really important to understand that, you know, plate tectonics and the, the idea that continents move or have moved and continue to move is it's relatively recent uh, in terms of our understanding of the world. But this paints such an interesting picture of 
how you ground truth these sorts of things. And so much of it comes from plant fossils Mm -hmm. and now, you know, extant groups too, their distributions. But to be able to find the same fossils in South America as you do in Africa and say, okay, what was going on? Were these places just that similar or were they connected? Okay, well, plate tectonics says they were connected and here's fossils to prove it. And just the, the myriad different kinds of fossils, like what blew my mind is this, is that they're able to take a film and put it over some fossils, like certain types, the way they were preserved, and peel off the waxy cuticle of a 350 million year old leaf. That's insane. And you could see veins and where the stomata and the guard cells were. It's mind-blowing. Well, that picture you just passed, I think, was small flowers that were probably really, really delicate tissues at the time that they were preserved. Yeah, so that's the other cool part is in being sort of the scientific publication, they got access to a lot of really important collections that might not be on display or readily available to the public. But here you can kind of go in and see them in better detail than you would even if you were holding them in your hand because of magnification and and the beauty of the fact that these weren't digital images that are limited by pixels. This is uh, film photography where the resolution was at the chemical scale and that's the best way to see some of these fossils. And I can't imagine the effort that went into making sure you could photograph these all and make them look as good as they do. So this is uh, a must read for any person that wants to understand sort of plant evolution the evolution of life, the history of planet Earth, but especially, you know, how flowering plants came to dominance. And yeah, it is, again, focused largely on Australia, but so much of this book is the history of the world and the end part of Australia is fascinating in of its own right. I've never been there and I don't know a lot of these plants, but how that all came to be is is just fascinating and I can't recommend this book enough. Um, I don't think it's still in print, so you might pay a little bit more than you would have originally, but if you're into this sort of stuff, this is a, a must-have. I, I I love it. He's obsessed with it, though. Yeah. Mike actually obsessed about it. <laughs> he started reading this and then every single thing was like carbon and zero fossils. I'm a sucker. What can I say? <laughs> Alright, so you've got one last book for us, right? Yes, and I read this when we first moved out to central Illinois, and it's called Gods of the Morning, A Bird's Eye View of a Changing World by John Lister Kay. And John Lister Kay is a British naturalist, and he owns an estate. It's called the Highlands Estate in Igas, I guess is how you say it. I-A-G-A-S, Igas. He turned this estate into a wildlife center and so it's a really well-known wildlife center that he now has you know people come and visit and they tour it and it's another you know I think you guys are probably getting the vibe of the type of books I like (laughs) to read Um, it's another kind of essay style novel um, of basically an entire year um, at this estate and what he's learned from observing the patterns and behaviors of the wildlife and the seasonality of the of the nature at the center. It's very bird-centered, of course, because I think he's ornithology-focused. But overall, you know, it just has a really nice feel of punctuality of seasons, um, which is one of the reasons I'm okay with still living in a place where it gets really cold. (laughs) It's because seasons are kind of wonderful in their own way. You're like, yeah, maybe not so much. But yeah, I I just really enjoyed this book. I've read it multiple years ago, so I can't recall too many intense details about it but definitely would recommend it gods of the morning a bird's eye view of a changing world 
Well, the special thing to me about those books, again, is not only just an appreciation of what's going on immediately around you and, and taking time to observe it, but also, you know, connecting it. Obviously, I'm plant-focused with in defense of plants, but plants don't operate in a vacuum. They set the foundation for all of these really fascinating and wonderful things that the natural world has to offer. And, and interactions and, you know, you notice the, again, this connection to the outdoors and how the punctuation of time can help. Yeah center your life and punctuate your own life and, you know, noticing the changing seasons and the changes in nature, especially now when we're really starting to pay a lot more attention to kind of the phenology of certain plant species, or we're paying attention to the migration patterns and how they're changing. And um, I think it has a lot of nice perspective on, you know, what we can get from really paying attention more closely to the, the changing patterns of the world around us. So... Yeah, and and going back to what I you know said at the beginning is is getting out there and and observing and and asking questions about what you see. I mean, that's where the real learning process begins. It's great to have these books, but it <laughs> reminds us that we need to be outside and observing because without it, you know, we just become these armchair scientists, <laughs> ecologists, naturalists that go, oh, I read it in a book, and this is what's true. And there's a point to be made that you know anyone can write a book, so. Go outside, see it for yourself, but also appreciate what others are seeing and, and how they're interpreting it and, and what they think about it. Because being able to appreciate multiple perspectives and, and viewpoints is what makes us, I think, better people in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. That's another one I did not know, so I'll have to put that one on my reading yeah, list too. Yeah, I feel like, you know, because I was going through my Goodreads profile before <laughs> to remind myself of some of the books I've read over the past few years, and I... I'm 99% positive that most of the books on that list are ones that I've got from the new natural <laughs> history section at the library just because it's a nice place to just grab a, a brand new book that is really attractive. I'm definitely obviously uh, drawn by the covers of the books. And so if it's, you judge books by their covers? <laughs> I judge books by their cover. It's okay, I can't so do help I. It. I do. I do. I do. It's, yeah, speak- it's both helped and yeah, hurt me. Yeah. Speaking of, this, this book's got a pretty nice cover. Yeah. So what was that book called again? The last book was called Gods of the Morning, A Bird's Eye View of a Changing World by John Lister Kay. Cool. All right. So last but not least, this one's a bit of a shameless plug because yours truly was one of the authors, but it's Flora Inside the Secret World of Plants. And I was very lucky to be invited to be part of this book, including... Jamie Ambrose, Dr. Ross Baton, Dr. Sarah Jose, Andrew Mikulaski, Esther Ripley, and David Summers. So a lot of great contributions to this book, and uh, I still can't believe it happened. I still have to open the cover and, and read my name in there to believe it. Uh, it was published by DK. It's through the Smithsonian in association with Q, and it really is inside the secret world of plants. And you know, my contribution to this was small compared to what this book actually is. And I only knew what I was doing. So I had no context of what the bigger picture was going to be. And then the finished product showed up on our doorstep one day. Surprisingly, we kind of forgot yeah, about it. <laughs> it, it was, you know, this was a process, but oh my gosh, is it an incredible book? I mean, what everyone put together is so enthralling and beautiful. It's It's so easy to understand. There's so much good information in here, especially, again, if you want to start out and just introduce yourself to the world of plants. 
but also if you're someone that really likes plants and knows a lot about them, there's something in here for everyone. And art was really at the center of this. The photography was really at the center of this. Everything that's talked about has pictures and diagrams, illustrations to go with it. They worked really hard on getting access to just beautiful high resolution photos. And it's, I just love the way it's organized m mm -hmm. more than anything else. You know, you start off with the plant kingdom and then it goes from roots and then there's the stems and branches section and then leaves and then flowers and then seeds and fruits and then the plant families. And it's such a cool way to break down understanding plants because there's so many unique perspectives to have on the different ways plants make a living and the different forms of plants that are out there that to kind of have it consolidated into kind of what's going on below ground, what's going on above ground, what's going on at the leaves. It's, it's really well organized. And then there's sections on the art. There's sections on history, again, anatomy, physiology, ecology, everything you'd want in a book is in here. And it's shameless because I'm part of it alongside a bunch of other great authors. One of my favorite parts is at the end of the book, when they go through the families you get a kind of a, a wonderful introduction to the basics of what uh, that plant family is all about, sort of the form and what you can expect to see. But then it also goes into the oddballs. It gives you a chance to kind of experience things that don't conform to what we'd expect because there's exceptions to every rule in biology. And uh, plants are certainly part of that. So I was so thrilled by this and I'm so proud to have been a part of it. And like I said, I still can't really believe it because it is such an incredible publication that, of course, I'm going to shamelessly plug it because I would have bought this book even if I wasn't part of it. This is a fantastic way to learn about plants. Again, this is called Flora Inside the Secret World of Plants. Yeah, it really is a beautiful book. So yeah, that was our book recommendations. I will put up a list of all of these books on the show notes for this episode so that you don't have to write them down as you're driving or something like that. Please don't take your hands off the wheel or <laughs> off your treadmill or however you're listening to this. You can easily go visit the website and get all of these. I'll leave it up to you as to where you want to purchase them from. I don't want to give anyone more credit yeah. than another one, whatever you decide. But uh, Send us your recommendations too. If you have something that we may be interested in that is something we didn't mention that we may not have heard of. Yeah. Definitely be interested. So you know where to find In Defense of Plants. We're on every major social media outlet out there. But Sarah, how do you recommend people reach out to you? Okay, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, S Johnson 4888 is my handle. I'll put a link up to that. So I think. You know. You're on Instagram too, right? I'm also on Instagram, same handle. And um, Sarah AJ at Illinois.edu is my email in case anyone wants to talk um, Florida botany or anything else plant related. Wonderful. Well, thanks for bringing us your recommendations. Of course. I, uh, I can vouch for you. You've got good taste in things. So all of these books are definitely worth reading. Thanks. So. I think so too. And thank you to everyone who listens and chimes in and has interacted with me over the last 200 episodes. It's incredible that the podcast has gotten this far. I'm thrilled by the response, and I'm so thankful for your continued support. I really am. It means the world. So here's to many more episodes. I wish I had some champagne to pop right now, because <laughs> I would totally do it in the background, but... That's okay. Alas, I don't have any champagne. It's a school night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, there's so many great interviews 
on the horizon. I've got a lot of backlogged episodes ready to come out, and I guarantee you, you're going to enjoy each and every one of them. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider going over to patreon.com slash plants and checking out all of those wonderful kickbacks we have there. I thank everyone that's donated thus far and has donated in the past. We have stickers for sale, indefensiveplants.com slash shop. And we also have apparel as well as things like mugs and tote bags. Kick that plastic habit. (laughs) Head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash plants and know that a portion of every purchase is being donated to the Rainforest Trust. So until next week, this is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone. Bye.